Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Exploring Washington State Music Edition. Today, I'm happy to say that I am sitting across the computer screen from a longtime friend. We've got a lot of stories to share. Uh, Welcome, Michael Wands or Wansley. How would you like us to address you, sir? Well, it doesn't really matter what I want because you're going to call me Mike because you've known me as Mike forever, even though the world knows me as Wands, a.k.a. I'm going to pop some tags when we got $20 in my pocket. Yeah, but there was so much, so much life before that. (laughs) Yes, yes, there was. So to set the table, uh, I met Mike in 1980. I, I was a precocious... 18-year-old, and we saw Mike and his band play at the Student Union Building in Ellensburg at Central Washington University at the Sub. Central Connection. My roommate, Ken Cadu, and I, somehow we worked our our way to the stage like little groupies, and there was this this Earth, Wind & Fire-esque band playing with outfits and Lots and lots of musicians, which for, for me was different. And the lead singer was this guy who was very charismatic. And somehow at the end of the evening, we introduced ourselves to him. And 40 years later, we still introduce ourselves to him. So, <laughs> so now, how was it being in Central Connection? Let's let's start there. We'll go backwards later, but let's start at Central Connection. Well, we have to go backwards because before you got there, I mean, in, in the fall of 79, I escaped Lakewood, Washington. My parents drove me over to Ellensburg, and they had this thing, Preview Week. You remember Preview Week, right? Preview Where week. they have, like, the incoming freshmen can go there a week before all the underclassmen come back uh, to kind of get socialized and and. and you know, kind of immersed in what the college environment's going to be like. Well, you know, when your parents bring you over on a Sunday afternoon, they have this big barbecue out on, and you're just like saying goodbye. And there's some people like, oh, I'm going to miss you. And there are some people who's like, their parents just dropped them off at the curb with all their crap. And <laughs> my parents were somewhere in between. They took me up to my room and I moved all my stuff in. And then we went and got something to eat. And I was like looking at my watch because it's like, why don't you guys got someplace to go? <laughs> Go. So they left, and within three hours of them leaving, I had already met like two guys, and one of those guys, both those guys were really interested in having a dance because we both were, that's how we met. We were like looking at girls. So I can't even remember these guys' names, but I, I do know that in that six days, um, I threw three dances, and by the end of the preview week, Probably out of 1,200 kids, probably about 400 knew who I was. Because, you know, you throw these dances, and the next day you're all in the dining hall. Yeah, that guy did it. And I was DJing him because I, I, you know, there was a there was a disco in my neighborhood when I moved, um, which has since gone by the wayside. And, and I spent a lot of my junior and senior year of high school at this place. And what, was the name to... of that pl- what was the name of that place? Disco Inferno. Okay. Disco Inferno. For those of you who are old time Lakewood people, it used to be, it was like three blocks behind, or two blocks behind Scott's Athletic Supply. Right around the corner from Elmo's bookstore, which is still there. 
amazingly so. But anyway, um, so classes start, and I'm in the music department, and you know, getting acquainted with people and setting up auditions uh, for for jazz choir. But one of the guys that I meet um, is a saxophone player, and his name is Darren Latamity, and you know, he was kind of giving me the skinny on what it was like to be in the performing jazz groups. And at the time, I thought jazz was like Chuck Mangione and George Benson. And, and you know, I mean, give me the night, George Benson, not the GTI stuff that's real jazzy. But anyway, we struck up a friendship because we both liked Earth, Wind & Fire, Commodores, Barquets, Lakeside, you know, all the funk stuff of the day, which was like separated from the Saturday Night Fever disco stuff that was played on the radio. And mm-hmm. that's, we got to do the big discussion about how the Bee Gees destroyed funk music. And that's how we became friends. He introduces me to his roommate. They live off campus. He introduces me to his roommate, Jeff Slack, who's a bass player. And so here it is, two, three weeks into the school year, and not only have I moved from the freshman-only dorm into the junior status or over-21 dorm, because these are some of the guys that I met during preview week, and I always hung out there, so they just voted me in. And it was like a 10-minute walk to uh, Darren and Jeff's house, playing records. Blah, blah, blah. And so that's where the idea of putting a band together came from. They knew other musicians. I knew most of the songs, and we started practicing up at up at the music building. And that's how Central Connection was born. And the first time we played in the in the in the sub pit was like amazing. You met me the second time we played in the pit because we had on the karate outfits. The karate that's yes. the a legendary <laughs> picture. It's only I mean, as a band, we only had one picture, and it was these. We had these matching karate gi style outfits and um it was uh jeff slack darren motamity todd shannon um what's the drummer's name carlton i can't remember carlton's last name jeff ridley terry freeman and me oh and kurt gang on guitar that was that was central connection and the year that you came was the year that we played a dance upstairs at the Student Union building. Right. The, the, the first time that you and I met was downstairs in the same building, what was called the pit, because they had this little place with a big fish tank in it and shit. Yeah, it was that. It was dope. Um, so, okay, got to ask, huh? whose idea was these karate outfits? Oh, we were all we, we were all trying to figure out something, but the whole the whole idea of matching outfits was, you know, all the bands. All the funk bands at that time, Cool and the Gang, Earth, Wind and Fire, um, the Commodore, they all had matching outfits. Stylistics, the Spinners, all, everybody had matching outfits in that side of the world, right? right? So we just decided on that because it was simple and it it was comfortable. And that was the, you know, I don't know how it came about, but I mean, that's what we decided on. And, I, and it's been like the stuff of legend forever. I had mine and I had mine for God, 10 years after I left school. I can't remember what I did with it, but, um, so yeah, the year that you came or no, the year it was after you came, 
No. Yeah, it was the spring before you came. Um, Central Connection played uh, at one of the residence halls. We played at Bardo Hall, campus-wide dance, on May third or May seventeenth, nineteen eighty, and blew the doors off of the whole campus. It was like the whole campus tried to fit into this one room. It was packed from wall to wall, pretty much from when we started until when we quit. And we got done and un, you know packed up all the gear and got all the gear put away. By that time, it was like three thirty, going on four in the morning. The sun, the sun was starting to, you know, the the sky was starting to lighten up because the sun was coming up. I got home at four thirty a.m. and went to bed. And you remember this the 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 FM station from Yakima? Yes. And it always played music, right? It was cartridge, and it was it was you know it was yes. always on. There was no DJ; it was just always music. Um, the panes on my window rattled, and that woke me up. And I look out the shade across the street. There's a there's a twelve uh, story building across the street, and all I see is the sun reflecting off of the windows. No big deal. But as I, I'm rolling over to go back to sleep, I'm noticing there's no music playing. I always, I always used to have, a, have my stereo on. I always used to have music on when I went to bed. And I didn't think much of it. And, you know, toss and turn for a little bit. And then way off in the distance, I hear from down the hall, we're all going to die! <laughs> I was like, Boop. And I go to the door, put my robe on, I open the door, and it's just, commotion everywhere people are going back and forth couldn't figure out what's going on nobody told me nobody told me the guy next door to me he's a chem major and he is at the end of the hall on the fire escape and that's when i noticed it's dark outside oh still i didn't know what was going on and i walked to the foyer i'm on the second floor i walked to the floor the second floor foyer and in one room there's a kid with a paper sack that delivers papers he was on the phone everybody was on the phone and i it, i finally snagged him what the hell's going on mount st helens erupted oh i go back to my room to call circuits are busy you cannot get through blah, 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 blah. so i'm like okay fine whatever get uh, in and still figuring all this out the chem major goes into his room and at his desk and he's like what's going on Oh, Jeffrey's doing tests. So, you know, it, it was weird, you know, because we're all like crowded around the door waiting silent, right? And then about five minutes, he goes, well, it's not toxic. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. Go back in my room and looking out the window and it's like night outside, even though it's like 930 in the morning, it's black. All the street lights are on but it's hazy. You can't really see what's going on. I thought, okay, so there's ash falling from the sky. This is what's going on. I get on uh, snow boots. I put on long pants and then a ski bib on top of that. And I had a the big, I had a big army parka, put that on ski goggles and, and a wool hat. And I'm starting to leave, and, and and one of my friends goes, where are you going? You can't go outside. That stuff, it'll kill you. And I said, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die on a full stomach. And I started walking up to the dining hall. 
And on my way, while I'm walking around campus, I'm, I keep holding out my hands and I'm seeing the ash hit my hands. And it's like, I, I was like laughing my ass off. I was giving my wish. No one knows how long I had prayed for black snow. So I'm walking through campus, go, sleigh bells ring, are you listening in the lane? Walking in a Negro wonderland. <laughs> it was hilarious. And I couldn't stop laughing at myself because it was like, and it was just dust, you know? And I was, I started to get really hot. Yeah, this is May. 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 It was 80, 82 degrees the day before. It was still 80-something degrees. Only now you have the ash and it kind of temperature trapped the temperature. It was hot. <laughs> it's like hot. And you're walking around like you should be on Mount Rainier. Correct. <laughs> not, not very brilliant, but you know, I was at college to learn. Okay. <laughs> so my question that you haven't answered yet was, was the dining hall open? Yes. Dining <laughs> okay. hall was open, bustling with activity because there was not one, not two, but five buses of high school kids there because there had been a marching band competition in Richland that weekend. And they all were on their way back home when they got caught seeing it coming. And they all stopped in Ellensburg. They all stopped on campus. They were all there. So how long was Central Connection active? Central Connection was from 79 until, um, 81. Okay. 81. It was the year after you got there. We played a couple of gigs that full year, but could never really get a springboard to do anything else. I mean, this is back in the day when, you know, just having a mixer that had more than eight channels on it was like a thousand dollars. Everything was expensive. So there was no such thing as, Oh, we'll just go and record, you know, on my iPhone or, you know, that we didn't have any of that. And recording was like, 70 to 150 bucks an hour, 300 bucks an hour, depending on which studio you went to. And all those studios were in Seattle. So um, we just kind of played on campus. And then I remember in the summer of 81, um, I got a job working up at Mount Rainier at Longmire Lodge. And while I was up there, I got a phone call from uh jeff slack's girlfriend and he had drowned he had drowned in this little lake that if you're ever if you're ever traveling eastbound on i-90 past clay Ellum on your way to ellensburg that first ellensburg exit exit 106 is known as the the west interchange and as you come off the freeway you'll see in front of you koa campground and immediately to your left was a little pond. Mm-hmm. And that was a little swimming hole. Well, he and his girlfriend had been out there, and she went into town to get something. When she came back, his body was floating in the water. And it was investigated. And, of course, you know, because he was a black man, everybody suspected foul play, but he was a good swimmer. So it's always it's been one of those unresolved things, and, People like me, I'm pretty sure that foul play was involved, but this was this was the early '80s in Ellensburg, Washington, and you know, and I, I totally. My parents wanted to take me out. Why? Because 
as I had met Jeff and Darren, that winter after Thanksgiving, the KKK showed up in town. And it made the news over in Seattle on King 5. My parents wanted to pull me out of school. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. Crazy. But anyway, so, that, that led to the that basically led to the end of Central Connection. So when I came back to school in the fall of 81, 81 to 82 was like, meh. So let's go back to Central. I, I, I like to, I, these are some questions I'm going to start asking everybody. So two questions about Central Connection. Mm-hmm. What was the... F- your favorite song that you guys performed and of the shows that you performed, which one was your favorite? Oh, you gotta be kidding. No. The second one's easy. The second one was that the one, the one where it, you met me. No, <laughs> no, it was the <laughs> night before mounting Helens blue. Sure. It's the stuff of legend. Everyone that I, everyone that was, that got there the same year I did that I still keep in touch with. They all remember. They've never let me forget it. I still remember when you played that night at Bartle Hall, blah, 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 blah. It was the stuff of legend. But the best song, the coolest song that we ever did was just the two of us. Um, Bill Withers singing with uh, Grover Washington Jr. I see the crystal raindrops fall and the beauty of it all when the sun comes shining through. That was like the dopest song. I loved singing that song. I love singing that song more than I like singing uh, the the really old Earth, Wind, and Fire songs. Her name is Jupiter from the galaxy. Can't believe I used to sing that high. Crazy <laughs> stuff. Crazy stuff. And Cool in the Gang. I mean, Celebrate was... Celebrate... Celebrate hadn't even come out yet. The big song then uh-huh. was, Oh, yes, it's ladies' night and the feeling's right. Oh, yes, it's ladies' night. Oh, what a night. My mom thought that was me on the radio when that song came out. Really? Really. She swore up and down that that was me on the radio. I I had to, like, convince her, convince her that, no, Mom, that's not not me. Well, I'm sure. It sure sounds like you. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. Feeding my ego. (laughs) So... Our, our time in Ellensburg was a very interesting. Um, I've been known to say my freshman year was the best six years of my life. Absolutely. Um, and, but there was a lot of really cool things that happened there. Yep. You were, you were an amazing, you were a, an amazing person to me. Not only, not only did you have like your own uh, distinctive walking style. Yes, yes. And for those of you, you have to imagine a, a very lanky, skinny, skinny kid who would walk on his toes and bounce on the balls of his feet all the time, hands in his pockets, bouncing up and down on his feet. It was amazing. And the other part was you were the son of uh, a Nabisco salesman who would come over every week or two weeks with a big box of Nabisco stuff, which made you one of the most popular people in the dorm because you would sell that stuff. It was awesome. It was, it was great. Yeah. 50 cents a box started off as my dad, just bringing over some samples to my roommate 
who was a military kid, he didn't have a lot of stuff. So I took over his closet space <laughs> and we started stocking the shelves of the closet space. And I was starting to order stuff from my dad. And he was, <laughs> and it was funny because years later I worked for the company. So I, I, I whenever something, whenever a case of something hit the floor and broke open, they had to rewrap it or they could give it away as samples. So my dad would just go into the warehouse and there'd be broken packages everywhere. Mm-hmm. And yeah, 50 cents a pack, our phone would ring at 2 a.m. on Friday and Saturday nights. <laughs> it was just, we were, we were a popular place. And then when we started taking orders, you know, for the, for the, you know, mystic mints, that mystic was, mints. that was the thing that everybody, you know, a limited supply could, yeah, couldn't get to. Because everybody smoked weed. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> we were, that was a very popular guy. That a very was, popular guy. That, yeah. And it's like, all I could do is like, I remember, I remember your dad started to like me and I knew how he, I, you know how I know he liked me? How's that? he started bringing me fig mints. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. My dad was a great dude. He's great dude. Yeah. Yeah. Now that, so I remember, so we'll tell a couple of musical stories here because things I remember about you. So one night you were over in art. Well, first off, let me tell, let me just share my um, preview week story. Mm. So you, you met, you know, you got there, you got rid of your parents. You ran to a couple of guys, you guys started DJing. Mm-hmm. So my parents bring me over, they drop me off kind of like yours. They hung out for a little bit, but they needed to get home. Mm-hmm. So I set up my stereo and then it's time for us all to go down to have dinner. So we were all to like go downstairs into the lobby of the dorm. And that's where I first met um, Ken Cadu mm-hmm. and Todd Phillips. And we go down, we have dinner, we come back and I'm going up to my dorm and Judas Priest is blaring from my room just blaring <laughs> I didn't leave my stereo on <laughs> my roommate who was a sophomore had moved in and he informed me that hey we're having a keg in our room tonight <laughs> he was expelled from school that night <laughs> that was my first night at college awesome. was my first night at college that was yeah he got caught trying to bring the keg into the dorm and they didn't even play they just said you're out this is like his third strike and i mean they just poof, he's gone got his stuff disappeared so, so that you, was that was my lucky you got to meet him my first preview my first roommate preview week we probably had maybe eight maybe ten sentences of conversation yeah because, you know, I got there first, so I picked a side of the room and started putting up my stuff. And one of the things that I put up was an album cover placard of, they used to call them flats. And I had a flat of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> put it up, right? And and some other musical things, Strawberry Letter 23 from Brothers Johnson. And there you go. And I was all set up on my side of the room. And he came in and he looked. And... We introduced each other, you know, we introduced ourselves to each other, said where are we from? And you know, I'm from I'm from Tacoma, south of Tacoma, called a place called Lakewood. Where are you from? Othello. I didn't know where Othello was. But I just I could tell by the look on their face, there was no Negroes there. Needless to say, by the time 
dinner had come and gone. I mean, he had his stuff in there before dinner. When I got back from dinner, because I'd hung out for a little while with some other people and got to talking, and, and it was uh, it was almost like 9, 10 o'clock before I came back. All his stuff was gone. Oh, whatever. Talk next morning. I'm talking to the the resident, you know, the 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 dorm manager, whatever. I don't know what happened. Oh, he wanted to. He found someone else. He was going to roommate with. Okay, no problem. Two days later, there was another guy, and uh, he's like, "Is that? Do you all? Is that the only kind of music you listen to?" And I go, "Well, yeah." Two hours later, poof, he was gone. <laughs> now, by the end, of, this is all preview week, right? So from Sunday to Thursday, I lost two roommates. It can, And then, by then, I had met this guy named Charlie, and he introduced me to all the cats in Sioux Lombard, which was the junior status or over one, over 21 dorm, right? Mm-hmm. And we would, we would play football Friday, Saturday, and then... Sunday, all the returning classmen came, and you know I was always out coming back. So after the returning classmen came back on that Sunday, and that Monday was orientation, and I had another roommate. I never saw him. I never saw him. Because I would go and hang out with the guys at Sue Lombard and crash on a couch. And after like a week of, of, and when I came, he was never there. The other roommate was never there. I don't even remember his name. Couldn't even tell you what he looked like. I do know that like 10 days after that, I'm, I was, I've been voted into Sue Lombard and I was living with a guy named Charlie who was like nerdy as all get out. But we got along because I could talk about the news because mm-hmm. I would watch the news. So we talked That's about right. news and stuff and he was like some kind of, um, I can't remember what his major was. It wasn't math, but it was something like math. It wasn't like physics or anything crazy, but you know, I mean, it was something like that. We got along pretty good. So back then, in my opinion, your musical taste <laughs> pretty narrow. <laughs> One night, you're in our you're in our dorm, and we're walking down the hall on my floor. <laughs> And behind a closed door, completely closed, I need to add for, for our listening audience, is Led Zeppelin being played. Oh <laughs> you open the door. You don't know these people. Nope. And you just destroyed them. Yeah, I walked in. Looked at them. Pushed the needle across the record. Walked out. <laughs> you walked out. And I'm standing there going... I'm just like terrified because I knew these guys uh-huh. and I thought they're going to kill him. Yeah. Then it got really fun because the fun part was when you and me and Ken started roaming the halls of the, of the girls dorms walking mm-hmm. up to the hall, and then I'd hear, I'd hear, Riding the storm out. It's Ariel Speedwagon. Doors open. Stick my head in. Hi. How's it going? Good. Who's this? Or who's, you know, do, oh, yeah, I'm Mike. This is Scott. This is Ken. Yeah. And look at the stereo and I, he'd like be standing there. 
look over the stereo, turn the power off. Thank you. And then I leave. <laughs> you, 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 you were just you were just fearless. It was, <laughs> it was and we were just always like in oh. awe, just shocked. How like did you, do that? did you know them? No, I didn't know them. How could you do that? How did you do that? It was really simple. I opened the door. I went in. I introduced myself. I turned the stereo closed, and I would knock. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, between Ario Speedwagon and what was the other album that everybody owned? There was Ario Speedwagon High Fidelity. I think it was called. Yeah, it was High Infidelity. High Infidelity. Everybody owned that record. It drove me freaking nuts. Yep. Um, what was the other one? Might have been Rolling Stones. I could tolerate Rolling Stones for a minute, but Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin, Judas Priest, anything that was like, like serious rock, forget about it. They it would come on. I'd leave the room. Couldn't stand it. Right, but over time, you, I don't want to say you embraced it. That's not what I'm trying to say. But you, you became. You found, I don't want to say an appreciation either, but you, you took away elements of it and you know did why stuff. That is. Go ahead. Tell us. That's because I discovered alcohol. I discovered okay. alcohol and, and, and the correlation between alcohol and women who drank alcohol. Now, I liked women. So I developed more of a taste for alcohol. And so I would go to these parties and I had to listen to the songs because the women who were attractive and were drinking were listening to these songs. Right. So that's how I learned how to fit in. I think the other album that you might be thinking of was ACDC's. Oh my God. Kill must kill that. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I would just kill. I would, I'd scratch paint. I'd scratch through a freaking solid door to get out of a room paint playing black, back in black. Oh, no kidding. Okay. So musically, were you always a music major at Central? Always. And when you started college... What did you think you would do with a music degree? Well, I was under the impression that, well, let me put it this way. Going back, say, my first, my freshman year in high school, we can go back six years, and I had a brilliant middle school teacher named Ben Keller, who was like the first adult who really like sat me down, looked me in the face, and was being honest and thought I was talented. So... Seventh and eighth grade, I was really getting into the choral thing and having a great experience with this teacher. Well, in ninth grade, because you know we used to have junior highs, not middle school. So seventh, eighth, and, and then got to ninth grade, we got a woman teacher. She was horrible. I didn't like her. All I had to do was hang out because I knew I was going to Lakes High School, where there was this great director named Barney Krause. The only reason I knew that is because when I was in eighth grade, we did a district-wide concert. So the the four middle schools combined with the two high schools, orchestra, band, and choir, all performed. 
It was huge. And on there, it was, it was the most brilliant thing ever. Eighth grade, and I'm singing uh, the Carmina Burana. Wow, okay. I know, right? And if you don't, yeah. if you're listening and you don't, what is Carmina Burana? It's known by boom. La, 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 it's an incredibly it's a long and very very difficult piece of music and so you know it always amazed me i mean it really amazed me because i didn't start hearing it on the radio until like I didn't hear it on commercials on television until like the nineties. Hmm. And it's like, I always had that. Oh, wow. I sang that in eighth grade, but that's, you know, I was singing by, by the time I was in eighth grade, I was singing songs that were in German. Um, yeah. German, English, Spanish. When I got into high school under Krauss, it was German, French, Spanish. <laughs> uh, he, that's all we could tell. He was mad at us. When he was mad at us, he'd make us learn something in French because French is really hard to sing because of the, the yeah the way the vowels go. <laughs> but anyway, because of because of Barty Krause and Ben Keller, I wanted to have I wanted to give kids the same experience that I had with music. They not only taught me sharps and flats, but they taught me what put music together and what things mean. You know, we we learn the translations of these songs and they'd write them out in English on the board, right? So even though we're singing in another language, you translate it to English and then there'd be stories around it, right? Well, that was great until my senior year in high school. We got a female teacher. She was horrible. First thing she wanted to do she wanted to take away the tradition that the director before Barney Krause had put in. His name's Ed Harmick. And I knew him too because I started going to this music camp at PLU. And it was called the Mexican Procession. Dim all the lights in the auditorium and then the choir would come walking in with these electric candle, little teeny electric candles, and we would procession in through the crowd and then get up on stage. And that's how the show would begin. And it had been a tradition at Lakes High School since 1965. Okay. Um, here we are in the, the fall of 78, and this first-year teacher wants to, like, say no. We're not doing that. Well, I'd been looking forward to it because I'd, I'd seen it in eighth grade, ninth grade, done it in 10th grade and 11th grade. It was a rite of passage for seniors that were, you know, that's how the show would open. The Christmas concert would always open that way. And then it would close by, with this song called Thy Little Ones. And then uh, alumni, choir alumni were invited to come in and sing with the choir. Okay. It's brilliant. She wanted to take away all of that. So, of course, she made nothing but enemies from all the kids. It was hard. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to escape. Couldn't wait to escape. Okay. Got to Central, had a great 
male music teacher, freshman, sophomore, junior year, and then my senior year, we got a woman teacher who was horrible. Those of you who are paying attention, yes, there is a pattern here. I don't understand why, but it it just happened that way. Ah, ah, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure what it is. Okay. So you you went to Central then because you wanted to be a, a music teacher? I wanted to be um, a music teacher, and I wanted to teach kids sharps and flats and teach them how to put together chords and create their own music because uh, that's what had happened to me between 8th and 10th grade. Okay. They gave me, a, you know, my teachers taught me how music was constructed. They also explained what songs were about. And I took what they had taught me and and took it from the music that we were singing, the classical music we were singing in class, and found the same thing on the radio, which was like all the songs that I knew. I knew all the songs on the radio. And then it was, well, beginning, middle, end, A, B, and there's a solo section that's C, and then it goes back to B for the chorus. And, and, and you know, all that song construction stuff. And then I okay. you know, in 11th grade, it was... I learned how to play chords. And once I learned how to play chords, then I could learn how to play really slow songs, really slow romantic songs. Girls like that when you sing them a slow romantic song. I'll take your word for it. Dude. Don't let the sun go down on me. Although I hurt myself, there's only a song. I could never play that song, but the guy who could play that song he always had girls. He always had girls. <laughs> and when I got to Central, I learned how to play. No, it sounds funny, but I just can't stand the pain. No, I'm leaving you tomorrow. Because I'm easy. I'm easy like Sunday morning. And you know what? It worked. It worked. Oh, yeah. Patty dropped stuff. <laughs> So, so after Central Connection, there was kind of a a lull. There were no a barren period. Barren period. There was a barren period, and at the end of that barren period was right about the time that you, Todd, and I shared a house. Yes. Yes. The stuff of legend. The stuff of. The only record that we could all agree to. So we had this to set the stage here. Mike with a very large funk soul collection. Mm -hmm. Todd with a very large classical Mm -hmm. and opera collection. And I had a very large rock and roll that's, punk and yeah. new, wave new wave collection. It wasn't punk. It was new wave. Well, I had, there was punk in there. There was punk in there, but there was a lot. And the only, out of literally hundreds of albums, mm-hmm. I mean, we had hundreds of albums. Mm-hmm. Between us, yes. Yes. The only album that all three of us would agree on was Toto 4. Absolutely. It's the only, I mean, we could, two out of three, there was plenty of choices. Two out of three. Yep. But we always went back to, Boom. 
All I want to do when I wake up in the morning is see me around. Awesome. But one of the things that was very cool about the three of us living together mm-hmm. was that we all expanded our musical appreciation yes. for other music. Yes. There are there, some, there are more than a few uh there are more than a few bands that were part of the quote unquote second English invasion that you exposed me to. Yeah. And uh haircut one hundred. Oh squeeze. Yeah. I still listen I still listen to that album. Yep. Boy meets girl. ABC. Yep. Yep. My name's Martin Frog. F-R-Y. Who needs the moon when you can have the stars? And then Todd Todd introduced me to the Alan Parsons project. Yeah, I had to leave. I know. I I I actually went and saw them live in concert. Yeah, the iRobot album was great, but I it had been my experience that people who listened to that kind of music, they smoked a lot of weed. And I didn't smoke dope. I could drink a little bit, but I was not smoking any. No, no, my mama told me it made me a drug addict. So I didn't want to be no drug addict. So I was not smoking no motherfucking weed. Now, in full disclosure, Todd Todd and I didn't do that either. Yeah. But well, Todd um, was just weird. Uh, yeah. Although we did, we did have a great discussion about Emerson Lincoln Palmer once, and he was completely surprised that I knew anything about Emerson Lincoln Palmer, Super Tramp, and what was the other one? I can't remember. There were three bands. He was like totally amazed that I I I knew. But that was because of like a friend of mine that I had that I used to run with in high school. So this house that we shared, we had the main floor and the basement, mm-hmm. and the upstairs was rented out by several of the guys who played on the basketball team at Central. Mm-hmm. I just remember them being noisy, mm-hmm. not appreciating us. <laughs> we didn't appreciate them. Mm-mm. And they were always home. We, like they never went to class. It was weird. And I never went to class. So we ended up with a band practicing in our basement. So let's talk about that for a while. I don't remember much about it. I, all I remember is, you know, you were really tight with them and I was just kind of, okay. Because by the time I would get out of rehearsal and whatever and practicing was right about the time that they were leaving. I didn't really like, you know, because they'd start rehearsing at like three or four in the afternoon, and I I get home like at seven, right? Right. So they were like leaving, but all I do remember is that one day when I was there, and I was sitting on the stairs, and they were learning just what I needed by the cars. Okay. And I remember they'd get to the chorus. I guess you're just what I needed. And the guitar and the drums, both guitar players and the drummer. Okay, that works. Bass player, totally screwed it up. Four times he screwed it up. The third time is when I grinned. The fourth time is when I laughed. 
Well, I didn't laugh. I just kind of giggled. And Boyle looked at me and he goes, what's so funny? And I go, well, he's not playing it right. I don't remember that guy's name. I don't either. It's not important. I don't either. No, not important. Anyway, that guy got kind of hot under the collar. Oh, yeah? Really? Well, you know so much. Why don't you play it? Well, I tried to explain it to him in a musical way. It goes from this note to this note, and, and it goes in the rhythm like do 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 And he couldn't figure it out. Well, you know so much. Why don't you play it? Well, I'd never played bass before. So it's like I found I could hum and I could sing, you know, relative pitch memory, pretty good. And it's like, okay, this is where this goes. This is where, and I just figured it out in like five minutes. Counted off the drummer. And we played it and, and got to the end of the chorus. And I stopped and took the bass off and handed it back to him and went back upstairs. <laughs> I don't think I was there for this, but I've heard the story through the years, but I don't think I was there for this. So but. a couple of days later, John comes over, John comes over with, was it Jay, the other guitar player? Yes. Yeah. Jay, Jay was the other guitar glasses. player. Yeah. Um, no, Jay did not have glasses. That was the drummer that had glasses. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. So, he and Jay were good friends, and I can't remember his name, but I can remember Jay's name. Yeah, Jay, the, the well, the, the both guitar players came over, and, you know, Mike, um, we really like what you did the, the other day, and um, we'd, we'd like it if you, like, joined our band. <laughs> so they fired the other dude. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> so... Yeah, that began my my bass playing career, and hey, you didn't even, you didn't have a bass? I can't. What were you? What did you? I borrowed. What did you? I borrowed Silla's bass. I borrowed Charles. I still have the, the I still have the speaker box that I borrowed from him too. Okay, but uh, yeah, I borrowed his bass and the speaker box. I gave him back the bass because I actually got one of my own. Um, wasn't that a a Gibson P bass? No. It was a copy, and it wasn't. It wasn't a real one. It wasn't a real Gibson. It was actually a Fender, okay. but it wasn't a real one. Okay. Was, um, little did I know, you know, was that you know, it was a P bass, and I should have kept it because it would be like worth a lot of money now. But you know, that's another. That's another story. So that summer, so so actually, uh, that happened in in the early part of the spring. And so that spring, I learned uh, 20 Flight Rock. I learned Rock the Casbah. I learned Wonderful Tonight by Clapton and a whole slew of other songs that I had only sort of knew. So I was exposed to a whole nother avenue of music that I never listened to. Mm-hmm. And thanks to you and John, I, you know, I never, I mean, I remember playing Wonderful Tonight for almost a year before I ever heard the real song. Really? Yeah. How did I learn the songs? They would start to play them and I'd pick up, the, you know, I'd pick up, okay, this is how the notes go in the verse. This is how the notes go in the chorus. This is how it's connected, verse to chorus. 
Mm-hmm. Music for me, for me, it was easy. For you know, if I could sing it, I could play it. So that, mm-hmm. and then that summer was the second. No, that was after we lived in that place in '83, didn't we? Or '84? '84. Yeah. Yeah. '84. '84. Was it '84? No, it was 83. It was 83. I was going to say. Because it was 83. I was going to say, because that didn't last very long. The suspicions didn't last very long. We played a couple of gigs. That was the first summer that I stayed. Then went year-round. Right. It was in the 4th and Anderson house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That, yeah, that, that band... Did, they played a fair amount of shows on campus mm-hmm. and they opened, you know, for other mm-hmm. uh, larger garage bands, if you will. Mm-hmm. Two car garage versus one car garage. Um, on campus. On campus. Yep. I graduated from that band to the drummer's name was Mike. Tall, skinny glasses. I remember. Tall, skinny. Dark, okay, Mike. Dark, yeah. uh, dark hair. Um, to Impacts which was a cover band okay. that had been around for a little while. Uh, they lost their bass player. And, and I knew Mike Ritchie and Ken Brooks because they were both music majors. And so that was a short audition and I started playing with them. That was the end of, that was the 83 going into 84 school year. And so when you were playing with Impacts, how long was that? How long were you playing with them, and that last? Where were you? Pl- seven, where were you playing that was at? Like seven months that I was in Impacts, and we played. We actually got out of town. I remember that we played once in Union Gap, which is just outside of Yakima. I remember that we played in Toppenish once down in the Lower Valley, all the way down there. Ken's telling me the story of the last one of the times that they had played down there. Um, he's, you know, they were in the middle of playing a song and the floor clears because one guy pulled out another uh, pulled out gun and shot somebody else. The band just kept playing. (laughs) Ken Brooks says Ken Brooks at the time, at the time Ken had just turned 21 or no, he had all, he was all, he was still 20, but he had been playing in impact since he was 15 because he was tall and he got, you know, hormones. So he got hair on his face and he looked like an adult. And he never got carded because he was always with the band. And he always had a, a certain swagger to him. Oh, God. He was a chick magnet. He was an unbelievable chick magnet. It was so frighteningly annoying. So annoying. But anyway, that's that's a whole other story. But, uh, yeah, uh, I'll never forget the two places that always are near and dear to my heart playing in impacts was Tenasket and OMAC. Why OMAC? We went to play OMAC in the wintertime. And it was the first time I'd ever been to the northeastern part of the state. I do remember that we were on a highway during the day and it was compact snow and ice on the road. We're in a nine-person van towing a U-Haul trailer. And at one point, 
I mean, Ken loved smoking weed, right? And he smoked cigarettes like a fiend, but he loved smoking weed. And I, I tried smoking in high school, but I, I gave it up. But as we were driving, we're going along at like 35, 40 miles an hour on this road. And the trailer all of a sudden comes from the, oh, it was on the left side because I was sitting next to the window on the left side. And the trailer starts sliding out into the lane next to us. So the car, mm-hmm. the car is moving like this, and the trailer, instead of being right behind it, I can't do this stuff, was now swinging out and almost even with the van. And my eyes were like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> so freaking up. And keyboard player Lynn, she was a nurse. So I said, everybody fasten your seatbelts and try to relax. If you could fall asleep, fall asleep. Because if we get in an accident and you're asleep, your body will be relaxed and you stand less chance of breaking bones. <laughs> that was my clue. And I looked over at Ken and I go, you got any more of that weed left? And I took like two tokes off a, off a joint. I was out cold. I was out and woke up right when we were just just getting into OMAC. Where did you guys play in OMAC? Do you remember? I can't remember. There is a restaurant in OMAC. I can't think of the name of it, but I'll put it in the show notes below. I never heard about it before. Okay. And then the famous people that have performed there is staggering. I'll bet. It's just... It's like the who's who of of country rock mm-hmm. and country and but I mean I was like and I, I, the story that was told to me was that there is some um, retreat up in um, to um, Oroville up at there up further north mm-hmm. of Omac and so the musicians would go there to detox but see you got to remember omac home of the famous omac stampede ellensburg had the ellensburg rodeo but the omac stampede the only thing that rivaled the omac stampede was the roundup at pendleton in oregon and those are the two biggest western events in the northwest bar none at that time but this 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 and I'm I'm gonna guess you probably this is the place where you guys played. I don't know because uh, we played at, at kind of a restaurant bar type place. Yeah, uh, that's what this would what that's what this is. It's nothing. Wow, it is nothing. It's not like the ranch. Oh no, no, or, oh, which, nothing like which, the ranch. which will we'll get, which will we'll get to. <laughs> we'll get to. Next step deserves time. its own. Next it, it it deserves its own chapter. Yep. Um, but anyway, I, I bet. I bet if we were to go back in time, that would be the same place because really interesting because see, like I said, this is the first time I'd ever been to that part of the state. Mm -hmm. So we get all set up and we do our sound check and we eat. Right. And then about an hour after we're done eating is when we're going to start. So we get ready to start. We go through the first set and about midway through the first set, I'm noticing that at the corner of the bar, probably about, 25 feet away from me, maybe 30 feet away from me, there's a guy, Indian guy, 
He's like 6'3", 260, Indian guy. And he didn't smile at all. And I was getting kind of self-conscious, and I leaned back and told Ken, the drummer, I said, what's with that guy? If I didn't know any better, I'd think he was staring at me. And so by the time, you know, Ken was watching him too. By the end of the set, Ken's like, yeah, you're not mistaken. That guy was staring at you. And so I went out the back through the kitchen to have a cigarette. And then I was coming in to have a drink. And when I came back to the stage, Ken comes up to the stage and he goes, so, uh, Mike, you see that guy over there? The big Indian guy you were telling me about? His name is Chief. Chief wants to kick your ass. I'm like, what the hell did I do? He just doesn't like you. What did I do? You know, and and Ken's like, I think it would be best if you stayed on the stage. So I stayed on the stage. End of the next set, I went out side smoked a cigarette came back in chief was still there i went back outside (laughs) we got done with the third set chief was still there ken brought me a beer i stayed on the stand i didn't move anywhere and uh somewhere in the middle of the fourth set he finally left and i never saw him again but ken always teaches me he always teases me about that chief remember chief Chief wants to kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've kind of alluded to what I think is going to be our next chapter. Mm-hmm. The famous ranch tavern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1984. 1984 was a very, very, very brilliant year musically and spiritually and all sorts of things having to do with like our friendship music and the like so yeah yeah well but i want to come back to because it wouldn't be me running one of these podcasts like a grateful dead show where i gotta like come back now no no no. for those of you no 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 i mean scott loves the grateful dead i have never ever Okay. But he's a nice guy. So two, th- two things. <laughs> two things that we we didn't talk about. 1980, mm-hmm. or was it January of 80? I think it was December of 80. Okay. Earth, Wind, and Fire played at the Seattle Center. The Let's Groove album. Mm-hmm. You were touring in support of the Let's Groove album. Mm-hmm. Myself, a date... I can't remember if it was Ken in a date. There's two other two other people. We go to this concert. I will say that it's one of the best concerts I've ever been. And I've seen a lot of bands. I've seen a lot of great bands. Mm-hmm. But the Earth, Wind, and Fire at the Seattle Center for the Let's Groove Tour was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. We were on the floor. It was great. Shows over, house lights come up, and I kid you not, I literally like turned around, and there you were on the medium, median, mm-hmm. doing your your wave thing with your hand that 
I will spare us all the visual, the horrible, uncoordinated visual of me. We didn't know each other very well at that time, but you were like, the spotlight was like, it was so surreal. You were, you were just there. And I think we, I think we talked, I think, I think we actually, you know, went up to each other and we were talking, but that's 1980. So we got to add that one. Yeah. Silva and I were there. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was my, that was actually my second full on concert that I had ever been to. Okay. Okay. No, what was it? Earth, Wind, and Fire, the I Am tour. That's the famous. All that's right. the famous Magic tour. Commodores opened okay. for them. Brothers Johnson oh. opened for the Commodores. Legend. Okay. So we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have the last word for this episode okay. because I'm gonna set the table for the next episode. Okay. 1980. Mm-hmm. Bardo Lawn. Four guys from Seattle on stage. I don't know if you were there. I was in biology class. Yeah. Bitching about the reverberation coming through the window. Pissed off as hell. Hated it. A <laughs> monumental, a monumental event in my pathetic oh life. My God. <laughs> There was a band on Bartolon from Seattle. And I still, t- to this day, can remember it. Me too. But not, and not for the same reasons. <laughs> that band mm-hmm. and members of that mm-hmm. band will be featured in episode two. Excellent. Of my conversation with Michael Wansley. So next week, (laughs) tune back in. We're going to talk about the eighties. It will be worth it. Thanks. Thanks. Join us next time for another episode of the exploring Washington state podcast. 